A new world is emerging. It is a new world order. To build back better or whatever. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. To be ready for pandemic two, I, I call this pandemic one. We've got to get them vaccinated and hopefully they will do it willingly. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste. Pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack. This is Connect Those Dots. Genetically modified organisms and we're injecting them in little kids' arms. We just shoot them right into the vein. Well, hello there, fam, and all of you beautiful little dot connectors out there. And uh, we have a somber one for this week. We have a a very sad and tragic episode here. And uh, dot connectors, the the new current thing is now upon us. Yes, just like George Floyd's death, just like the COVID crisis, crisis, just like the war in Ukraine, just like the Uvalde shooting... We now have a new current thing. And that, of course, is the death of Queen Elizabeth. This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. And you see all the virtue signalers out there now. I'm surprised all I'm surprised some of these people haven't just made the Queen's picture their their new profile picture. Because remember when the Black Lives Matter stuff was happening, everybody put a black square up. Remember when everybody was getting vaccinated and they put the picture of themselves getting vaccinated as their as their profile picture. I'm getting ready to see everybody putting uh, like just a picture of the Queen as their new profile picture because that's how the current thing works. That's how the news cycle works. So probably for this whole month, they're going to be milking this whole uh, queen thing. And you're going to see it everywhere, not just from like the usual suspects like CNN or MSNBC. You're seeing it from the from from Fox News and and Breitbart and uh, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, Blaze TV. They're all kissing the queen's ass. They're all acting like she was this malevolent figure and that the royalty should be worshipped, but personally, I don't really know much about the Queen. I don't really care much about the Queen. She was always just sort of this statue, piece of furniture, novelty, mannequin, mascot of prissy royalty opulence of England, of, of a bygone era. You know, this little chicken nugget of a woman, this little tater tot of a woman that would make appearances every now and then. So... I don't know much about the Queen, but I do know of the company and the people around her, particularly her son Charles, who's now King Charles, who we'll definitely get into heavily in this podcast, and as well as her husband, Prince Philip. 
Now, Prince Philip, who recently died as well, he died last year. He was the fella that literally looked like a dug-up corpse. Like a reanimated zombie. Literally like Nosferatu, like the, the original the original vampire movie in black and white without any uh without any dialogue. He looked like Nosferatu. And when you look through the royalty's bloodlines, there's all that they all have this sort of vampiric appearance to themselves. But uh, I, I don't want to focus so much on the appearance. I want to focus more on uh, some of the quotes we have from some of these individuals. Prince Philip, this is a quote from Prince Philip. In the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute to solving the world's overpopulation problem. Let me say that again. In the event that I am reincarnated, I would like to return as a deadly virus in order to contribute something to solve the overpopulation problem of the world. What a nice guy. What a nice, benevolent gentleman, old man, all hokey, hunky-dory, Mr. Royalty, Prince Philip of Wengenberg, the Duke of Ottenburg. All these stupid little titles. It's all so goofy. It's all so bygone. But we see where his head is at. In the event of his death, the only thing that he's thinking about is, I want to be reincarnated as a microscopic molecular organism that's a virus that wipes out a vast amount of the population to solve the world's overpopulation problem. Down to zero. Sounds familiar. Sounds pretty much par for the course. We're not really treading any new ground here. Just another globalist with infinite wealth and infinite power and infinite resources that wants to get rid of the human population. Eh, you, you know, normal stuff here on Connect Those Dots, right? So that's Prince Philip. That's the Queen's husband. Now, let us really jump into the most important character here, the most important Kardashian here. Did my butt get smaller? Newly crowned King... Charles. And we talk about Charles here a lot on Connect Those Dots. But this episode, I really want to take a deep dive into him, so to speak. <laughs> because when I heard this story about the Queen's death, I didn't think about the Queen. My first thought went to, wow, so this means that Prince Charles is now going to be King Charles. And you're damn right. Over this weekend, he was already crowned. They wasted no time to give Charles his new throne. King in the castle, king in the castle. Have a chair, I have a chair. And isn't it funny how quickly everyone forgets? You see on TV all the ceremonies, all the eulogizing, all of the ass-kissing to the royal family, all the mourning, and all of the loving all the sudden of, of Charles, of newly King Charles, King Charles III. All of a sudden, he's, he, he's the world's sweetheart and everybody loves him. Well, personally, the very notion of a king does just not jive with me, does not sit well with me because, uh, yeah, I'm an American and the entire ethos of America is based on the denial of kingship and the rejection of monarchy. So that's where I stand. This country was founded getting away from monarchy. So... 
That's obvious. When I see Americans sitting here celebrating royalty and brown-nosing the British monarchy and trying to gaslight people and make people think that the royalty is something that should be celebrated, it's really just silly, and it goes into how Americans don't even value America anymore and the values of America. They don't value the values of America, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can jump down. But I want to clarify for everybody that we know who who King Charles is. I keep calling him Prince Charles. It's going to have to get used to it. We know who King Charles III is. Let him tell you himself. Let him tell you himself. He loves to brag of his bloodline. He loves to brag about his genealogy. Let's hear him brag about his bloodline and how he's a descendant of uh, blood-drinking psychopaths. And His Royal Highness Prince Charles, who can trace his ancestry back to Romania's dark and distant past. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Impaler, you see? So I do have a bit of a stake in the country. As it were. Oh, my genealogy would show that I'm descended from Vladimir Pillar. Mmm, Vladimir Pillar. The blood-drinking warlord of Transylvania. Mmm. And I'm so proud of it. So, uh, needless to say, I have a bit of a stake in this world. <laughs> As it were. Hmm, I guess that explains why all of our private chefs in the castle never cooked any of their cuisine with, with garlic. <laughs> Mmm, explains why I'm not a fan of garlic, yes. Or the sunlight, yes, yes, I have a steak in this. You see him bragging, you see how he giggles about it? He thinks it's funny. He thinks it's funny. Because growing up as Charles of the royal family, you never knew adversity. You were never a warlord. Charles is a 70-year-old child, essentially. I saw a meme saying that a 70-year-old man finally gets a job. You know, queen dies and 70-year-old man finally gets a job. That's really it. Charles has been brought up through opulence, through a cushy life, through, through royalty. And that is something that has psychological effects on a human being. When a person has never had the struggle, when a person has never known adversity, when a person has never really had their metal tested... It affects a person psychologically. And then, when you give that person power of monarchy, it only continues to feed that psychosis, that psychosis of spoiled brat mentality. That psychosis of, I rule, what I say goes, none shall defy me. I am the king of the mountaintop. I reign supreme over everyone in this school. I am the golden god of this place. I reign supreme. I... I... So as he sits there and giggles about how his blood can be, his bloodline can be traced back to the warlord Vlad the Impaler, the legend of Dracula, and it all ties back into how the, the, the royal family has that sort of vampiric aesthetic to their appearance. If he's so proud of his blood-drinking lineage, I'll let you connect the dots on that one. But what we know for sure is that King Charles 
is a World Economic Forum heavy hitter. He hobnobs with all of them. From Klaus, to Gates, to Soros. As much as Queen Elizabeth was sort of a ceremonious and kind of just a mascot and tourist attraction, mainly, didn't really get her hands dirty. Not that we saw, we didn't really see her make any statements. God knows what was going on behind the scenes. King Charles, on the other hand, is very blatant in what his goals are for the future and what his allegiances are in shaping global society. Right, please, sir. And I've played you clips before, but we're, we're, gonna, we're going to revisit those clips again. Here's King Charles telling you how you, yes, you, not me, but you, you are going to have to change your life because of man-made climate change. Mm. Case, we have no alternative because otherwise... Unless we take the action necessary and we build uh, again in a greener and more sustainable and more inclusive way. <laughs> greener, sustainable, and inclusive. The only word he was missing right there was diversity. He's trying to get it all packed into one. And you could see him looking down at his desk. He's totally reading off of a script. Then we will end up having more and more pandemics and more and more disasters from every ever accelerating global warming and climate change. So this is the one moment, as, uh, as you've all been saying, when we have to, 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 to make uh, as much progress as we can. Bruh. So did, did you hear all the keywords? Is your head spinning from all of the buzzwords that he just said in that statement? We need diversity. We need inclusion. We need green, sustainable energies, or else there will be more pandemics, as my friend Mr. Bill Gates has said multiple times. You know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. And uh, if we don't do something about the climate change, then mm, <laughs> it'll be very bad for you. And I'm, I'm very concerned about you. Yes, as I, as I eat my caviar, as I drink my blood, as I fly in my private jets, as I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of land that was just given to me because I'm a royal bloodline, because of my genealogy. Yes, you have to change your life. And he's dead serious. I know we, I can sit here and joke and do my silly little impression of him, but he's dead serious. That statement that I played you was from 2020. Here's what he said in 2022 at the World Economic Forum about how they would possibly employ these climate measures. Yes, for the greater good. This is for the greater good. So, ladies and gentlemen, my plea today is for countries to come together to create the environment that enables every sector of industry to take the action required. We know this will take trillions, not billions of dollars. Well, obviously they don't care about money because they throw trillions and trillions at Ukraine all the time and nothing seems to happen. So they just print money, they just generate money, so he, he doesn't care about money. But he's willing to spend the money, not on anything that's going to benefit you, just more ways to control you. And here's the big bombshell of the statement right now. We also know that countries, many of whom are burdened by growing levels of debt, simply cannot afford to go green. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. With trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP, 
and with the greatest respect beyond even the governments of the world's leaders, it offers the only real prospect of achieving fundamental economic transition. A vast military style campaign. Now, what does that mean? That's the big joke of the green police knocking on your door to make sure you're not using hot water, to make sure your air condition isn't lower than 75 degrees in the dead of summer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure you're not eating too much steak, to make your carbon footprint tracker as they talk about so much. Individual carbon footprint tracker. Many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. So he's hardcore about it. We need a vast military style campaign. Vast military style campaign to enforce these policies upon the useless eaters who are using our non-renewable natural resources. You hear what he's saying? You think this is a guy that's about the people? You think this is a guy that you want to glorify and lionize and, and deify? No, the man is a hardcore globalist. The man is a hardcore globalist. The, that we know for a fact. The man is a hardcore globalist. So that's what he's up to now. That's his public persona now. Mr. Globalist, Mr. Humanitarian, Mr. Philanthropist. And I keep the company of Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates. And we're all just such good people. Mm. But what if we turn the clock back a little bit? Let's see what company he was keeping even back in the day, even back before his new persona. Who was King Charles, used to be Prince Charles? Who, who was Prince Charles's big buddy back in the 80s, 70s and 80s? Well, a guy named Jimmy Savile. Now, if you don't know who Jimmy Savile is, I'll give you a brief little summary on him, but there's a bunch of documentaries about Jimmy Savile. There's a pretty, actually, a, a pretty good one on Netflix that really paints the picture very well and shows a lot of his relationship with Prince Charles. But Jimmy Savile was basically the Ryan Seacrest of the UK. And this! Is American Idol. In like the 60s through the 90s, Jimmy Savile was this big eccentric character. He would host award shows. He would be on TV. He would be on the radio. He would do all sorts of public, public stunts and all sorts of eccentric, weird things. And, and the man was always a mystery. He was a very odd guy. And he got into a bunch of quote-unquote philanthropy with children's hospitals and children's mental institutions. And people always called him a pedophile. Even newscasters, journalists would go up to, be, go up to Jimmy Savile and be like, Hey, Jimmy, people are calling you a pedophile. What do you have to say to them? And he'd, he'd sit there and laugh it off or give some weird cryptic response. Jimmy Savile was a huge figure. But he was also an enigma. He'd never been interviewed by somebody like me. I've suspected there was something amiss. Being a DJ, of course, didn't just bring you fame, it brought you girls. Lots of girls, didn't it? Well, I think it did. Well, at least you said it did. Maybe there were too many, Jimmy, to remember. Hey? We're talking about a life, are we, in the 60s and 70s of lots of lovers? Oh, that's a long time ago. I've forgotten now. We had found nobody who had done a kiss and tell. 
But I should stress that the people doing the research were hard-bitten tabloid journalists. He said he had all these women chasing him, he had all these girlfriends, but our research team couldn't find a single woman, girl, teenager, he had dated. Not one. I never have been a grass, and a gentleman never grasses on ladies as ever. But we're not asking for names, we just want to know if you live this sort of playboy life of a DJ. Yeah, I'd give or take a few nights Why? Have you shied away from close relationships? I'm quite happy to have a few close relationships tonight, if anybody's not spoken for. Why in the past have you avoided close relationships? Because I've never been in the same town more than about 48 hours at any one time. It's just a lifestyle, right? it's not my fault. Have relationships and sex been hey. casual? <laughs> you mentioned the S word. Well, we had to get around to it eventually. Did you? Well, oh, you're talking to the wrong guy here. Oh, Mr. No Grass here. We never see any of them. We've never even a snapped picture by me, the paparazzi. Me too, me too. Do they? they don't, well, they don't really exist, do they? Not really, They don't no. really exist. No. No, they don't. I told you I was boring. But it, is it just a facade? Or the, the, yes. the, the playboy image? Yes. Yes, or is, that, right. or is that answer part of the facade? No, no. <laughs> you, can't, you can't win it. <laughs> uh, it's all part of the facade, and uh, 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 I'm very boring. Thank God. You can see this in the documentary. It, it's very detailed. It's, there's endless footage of, of Jimmy Savile's eccentric, strange, bizarre antics that he would just get on with all the time just to have a story about him. So Jimmy Savile died in 2011. Then after he died, a year after he died, in 2012, it comes out that he was a, not just a sexual predator, not just a pedophile, but a Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell type of supplier, a farmer. And that's what he was getting on in his children's hospitals. That's what was happening in his children's mental institutions. He was a pedophile supplier. He was a groomer. He was a procurer of sexual victims. Underage sexual victims. A television documentary will this week claim that the late broadcaster Sir Jimmy Savile sexually abused schoolgirls in the 1970s. Now where Jimmy Savile comes in to... King Charles is that they were best buddies. They were best pals. Jimmy Savile used to hang out with the royals all the time. He was actually knighted, if you could believe that. He was knighted. He was given the highest honor of British royalty. Jimmy Savile, pedophile procurer, industrial grade pedophile, Jimmy Savile, was knighted in the 90s. By the queen herself. And he was best buds with Charles. Him and Charles used to write written letters to each other. Bruh. And Jimmy Savile's ex-secretary, she has a lot of those letters. And she's read a bunch of them. And Charles describes Savile in such flowery and flattering, uplifting, glorifying words, it comes off very strange. Why did Prince Charles think so highly of Jimmy Savile? 
when Jimmy Savile was in the height of his antics, was in the peak, was in his prime of demonic activity. Why was he best friends with now King Charles? Why were they sending written letters back and forth to each other? Why did they think so highly of one another? Why was Jimmy Savile knighted? You mean to tell me that they didn't know about Jimmy Savile? Come on. Come on, we, we know better. As dot connectors, we certainly know better. The British intelligence agencies, the MI5 and all the, the big James Bond intelligence agencies of Britain, keep tabs on the royal family and who they interact with at all the time. As to make sure that it's not a threat to the royal family. So, the information was known. It was known around Hollywood. It was known around elite circles what Jimmy Savile was up to. And it bled its way into the mainstream. That's why everybody would always joke about Jimmy Savile being a pedophile. Jimmy Savile, why don't we ever see you with a woman? Jimmy Savile, why don't we ever see you with a girlfriend or a wife? You're 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 this old bag. Why don't we ever see you at a home? Why don't you ever why don't you have one home location that you go to? Why are you this nomad? Why do you spend the nights in the children's hospitals that you own? You are about the most recognizable character in the country. But I think what people think now and looking at you now, they'll think, who's looking after him? Who's cooking his dinner? No one. Your own man, an individual, but I know them, the other Jimmy Savile is a fairly anonymous character. Oh, but very ordinary and thick. You're thick, are you? <laughs> You're always doing something physical like cycling or wrestling or something like that. Are you in some way trying to punish yourself? <laughs> Not at all. The only time you punish yourself is when you are with young ladies. And then you punish yourself because you're such a villain. Or it's like you should be kind to them and you're not kind to them. And you squeeze them and make them go, ouch, and things like that. So it bled its way into the mainstream. But what was truly going on, the open wound of that bleeding was something far more diabolical and far more sinister, far more satanic. And all the while, while Jimmy Savile's getting down, he's best buddies with King Charles. Uh, Your Majesty, can you please explain why you were such great friends with Jimmy Savile? So, these letters from the royal family. They include Prince Charles and Princess Diana. A letter to Jimmy Savile, to his London flat, at Park Crescent. Written on the 4th of July, 1991. Dear Jimmy, I can't tell you how grateful I am for the most useful assistance you provided for my speech in the Guildhall the other day. It really was extremely good of you to take the trouble to put together those splendid notes and they provided me with considerable food for thought. With renewed and heartfelt thanks, yours ever, Charles. January the 2nd, 1989, from the Prince of Wales to Jimmy. I can't remember if I have written you a note recently about morale-boosting visits to projects that don't get enough attention. I have a dreadful feeling the office doesn't consult you before each programme meeting. You know, he's asking his advice, where should he go and visit? Who should he see? So he obviously valued Jimmy's opinion, which is <clears throat> bizarre, really, when he's got the big, you know, the staff. He's got um, advisors and assistant advisors and, you know, a big team of people. April 1990, seeking Jimmy's advice about a speech 
You are so good at understanding what makes people operate and wonderfully skeptical and practical. Can you cast an eye over this draft and let me know how we can best appeal to people on this score? January the 14th, 1987. What I really need is a list of suggestions from you. Perhaps I am wrong, but you are the bloke who knows what's going on. He was still a man of the people. He knew the common folk, the royal family. They're often seen as stuffy and out of touch. Charles had found his link with the people of Britain. It's not just a couple, you know, it's not just three or four, there's absolutely no there's files of it. December 22nd, 1989. I wonder if you would ever be prepared to meet my sister-in-law, the Duchess of York. I can't help feeling that it would be extremely helpful to her if you could. I feel she could do with some of your straightforward common sense. Sir Charles says to Jimmy, I attach a copy of my memo on disasters, which incorporates your points that I showed to my father, and he showed it to Her Majesty. Jimmy had sent back to Charles a five-part manual titled Guidelines for Members of the Royal Family and Their Staff. Jimmy seems to be a kind of unofficial chief advisor to the Prince of Wales. I mean, there you have it from your majesty's lips himself, telling you how great of a guy Jimmy Savile was. But let, let's get let's get away from that. Surely, surely, what about Prince Charles' love life? He must have had a great love life, of course, right? This brings me to Princess Diana. Now, I didn't know much about Princess Diana before this. I didn't really look into it that hard. I didn't really care enough about Princess Diana. But then when I realized that she was connected to Prince Charles, and all her controversy was connected to Prince Charles. Again, Prince Charles just can't seem to find himself out of controversy. I got fascinated. I started looking into it more. And when you look into it... And one of the things that I found was this really epic report by Greg Reese, where he distills everything about this Diana death or assassination, killing... And just goes through all of the aspects. And we're going to listen to it together right now and analyze it. 25 years ago, Princess Diana's car crashed inside the Pont de la Alma tunnel in Paris, France. Her lover, Dadi Fayed, died upon impact along with the driver. And even though Diana survived... It took about 40 minutes to get her from the car to the ambulance. The official story was that they were trying to free her from the car, but several witnesses say that Diana was conscious and unobstructed. Photographs show that the back seat of the car was undamaged, and witnesses were pleading with the police to open the door and help her. Once in the ambulance, it took about 40 minutes for them to choose a hospital, and when they finally set off, the ambulance drove at a snail's pace and made several stops, taking about 40 minutes to drive less than four miles. And that's the thing about this is like I was talking to people. I was like, yo, dude, they killed Diana. You know, you know, they had her killed. All these things. You mean to tell me that they, that they're not able to kill somebody with a with a car crash? That's a perfect alibi to kill somebody with. And that's why you see all the people that talked about the Clintons or died suddenly in a car crash. Even that actress, Anne Heche, who was making a bunch of movies about New World Order plots. She died in a car crash. So all this stuff, this crash in the middle of the tunnel? Bruh. 
No witnesses saying that she was still alive and nobody was helping to save her. Bruh. Ambulance waiting there and then picking her up and driving at a snail's pace to get to the hospital. Bruh. But the plot only thickens from here. Doctors were turned away. Witnesses were strip searched. Cameras were confiscated. No evidence was gathered. No blood samples were taken. And by 3 a.m., the entire scene was sprayed down with high-pressure water hoses. Like, the only thing that they were missing was bleach. <laughs> right? That's creepy. That's all confirmed. That's all fact. As a dot connector, your spidey sense is definitely tingling. Mercedes wanted to study the wreckage to see why it failed so badly, but they were denied. Diana's body was taken by the royal family, who had her reproductive organs removed before burying her remains. All 17 cameras along the route of the crash were mysteriously turned off, and all radio police frequencies went down. Witnesses were assaulted and threatened, and there was no investigation. Not until the inquest, 10 years later, which is when most people learned that Diana had penned a note in 1996 saying that someone was going to kill her in a car accident. So all these things together, all these things, the cameras being turned off, the witnesses being harassed, Mercedes not being able to look into it, now a note being uncovered by Diana, wife of King Charles... I always want to make an emphasis on that, saying that she was going to be killed in a car crash, specifically in a car crash. This note was concealed for six years. At the inquest, experts agreed that Diana would have survived if they had gotten her to a hospital. But the blame was put upon a military-style attack. According to witnesses, a group of motorcycles, along with a white Fiat Uno, worked in concert to crash the car. First, with a blinding flash of light, followed by an explosion from the front tire of the Mercedes. During the inquest, a former MI6 agent described being shown the very same plan in 1992 for a possible MI6 assassination of Slobodan Milosevic and claimed it was MI6 who killed Diana. Because of all this, the inquest ended with the verdict of unlawful killing blaming her death on the mysterious military hit squad. But the mainstream media spun the entire thing to make it sound like it was the paparazzi that caused her to crash, which is demonstrably false. So it, it, it gets confirmed. It gets confirmed that it was a hit, that there, there's evidence that there was a hit squad that facilitated this crash, but then it gets covered up in the mainstream media? Then it gets pushed under the rug? Then it gets, then it gets called a conspiracy theory. Where have we seen this before? This is the same movie over and over and over again, just on different scales. Constant fake orchestrations, producing an outcome, and then being covered up. And while there was no investigation into finding the members of this military hit squad, three years later, the alleged driver of the white Fiat, who had ties to MI6, reportedly committed suicide after being found shot twice in the back of the head and burned inside of his car. Yeah, he just, uh, you know, shot himself in the head, uh, chopped himself up into little pieces, put the little pieces of himself in a suitcase, and then dropped himself in the middle of the ocean. All these fake suicides, just, just like the Epstein stuff. If you're a loose end, if 
It would be more advantageous to get rid of you if you are collateral damage. They offer you and then just, they just say you committed suicide. Isn't that something? Isn't that just nice? Isn't that just liberal and inclusive and diverse? During the inquest, many things were kept from the jury, such as the fact that Diana's seatbelt was found to be defective and evidence of the car being sabotaged. Interestingly, these things would have brought more suspicion towards Dottie's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed, who, after turning down repeated offers from the French government to provide security, was solely responsible for Diana's security detail, and at the last minute, had them leave their security detail in front of the hotel as a decoy and take a different car, a car that was recently stolen, broken, repaired, and never checked by security. I mean, bruh. Bruh. I mean, bruh. Bruh. It just goes on and on. And this was such a coordinated effort. Look at all the lengths they went to kill this woman. From the cameras, to the decoys, to the cover-ups, to the tunnel, to the ambulances, to the harassing of the, of the, of the witnesses. So... This is all connected to Charles. This was Charles's wife. And what? Because she, she was cheating on him? The story definitely goes much deeper. And we could go on and on and on with this Diana factor. This Diana saga. But it all just leads back to Charles. Why is Charles associated with all of this occult, secretive, conspiracy, New World Order? He's associated with pedophilia, whether it's Jimmy Savile, whether it's Klaus Schwab, whether it's Bill Gates, whether it's the, the assassination of his wife, the coordinated hit put out on his wife, it all leads back to Charles. And now here we are. No more queen, just him, the new face of royalty, the new majesty. And don't think that he doesn't have any real power because the crown still chooses who becomes the leader of England. The crown still selects the parliaments. And we know who the crown is now. We know who is he, we know who he's associated with. It's not like Elizabeth where we, we didn't really know what she was up to because she didn't have such an open door of a presence that she had. She, she kept her mouth shut most of the time, Elizabeth. God knows what was going on behind closed doors. But with Charles, it's the exact opposite. We know exactly who he is. We know exactly what he stands for. We know who his associates are. We know his history. That I'm descended from Vlad the Imperialism. And we know his plans for the future. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector. We know he brags about his demonic bloodline. We know his father was a big proponent of depopulation. And oh yeah, his father would walk with the Nazi marches. When the Nazis came to power... Prince Philip was there marching along, goose-stepping along with the black boots of the Nazis. So that's who these people are, and you, you can look that up yourself. You can look up Prince Philip virus reincarnation, and you can find the quote yourself. You can look up Prince Philip Nazi march and see a young Prince Philip 
walking around hobnobbing with Hitler. So that's who Charles's father is. Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, George Soros, Jimmy Savile. That's who Prince that's who King Charles's best friends are. You know a man by the company he keeps and the way he was raised and the statements that he makes. So make no mistake. King Charles is going to be a new era. Now he's going to be able to really enact the things that he aspires toward. So the death of the queen couldn't have come at a better time for Klaus Schwab. The death of the queen couldn't have come at a better time for Bill Gates, for Yuval Harari, for the globalists, for the Great Reset, for Build Back Better Agenda, for the New World Order. Because with King Charles... Like in an anime, when a character transforms into a stronger version of themselves, you haven't even seen my final form. If you want a challenge, how about my final form? Final form, my ass! The final form now has manifested of Charles III into King Charles. And now he's more powerful than ever. My power shall be absolute. You see? You understand? Now he can actually enact policy. Now he's king. What he says goes. Now people gotta treat him with a different level of respect. And a different level of caution. So you'll see. As the months begin to progress. As the years begin to inch ever closer to 2030, which is their agenda for 2030, to have their great reset in place. This afternoon, the Secretary General and Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, will sign will witness the signing of a memorandum of understanding on a strategic partnership between the UN and the World Economic Forum, which outlines areas of cooperation to deepen engagement between the two institutions and to jointly accelerate the implementation of the 2030 agenda. Understand that King Charles, bloodline of Dracula, born into riches and royalty and opulence throughout his entire life, completely a delusional psychopath, He's going to be enjoying all the riches. He's going to be doing whatever he wants, making any decision that he wants, living the most beautiful, privileged life ever. And he's going to be telling you that you got to live in the Great Reset. And we all know what that means. We all know what it means when he says he's got a stake in this world, as it were. But he's holding that stake. And he's going to try and put it through your heart. (laughs) 